This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. President Donald Trump signed an executive order yesterday that will help get construction on the Dakota Access and Keystone XL pipelines completed. It is one of the areas of focus for the 45th president, but as we have seen in the recent past, it is one with just as many critics as supporters. But the idea of this president, but the idea that this president is is to try and make the U.S. as dependent uh, on its own oil rather than that from other countries. To look at this announcement, we are joined by Wharton Professor Eric Ortz, who's also faculty director of the Initiative for Global. Environmental Leadership. He's in studio with us on the phone. Chuck Mason, Chair in Petroleum and Natural Gas Economics at the University of Wyoming, and Harrison Fell, Assistant Professor in the Department of Agriculture and Resource Economics at North Carolina State University. Eric, great to see you again. Great to see you too. Thank you, Chuck. Harrison, great to have you uh, both joining us on the phone today. Glad to be here. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Eric, since you're in studio, I'll start with you. Reaction to the move yesterday. Well, it's uh, not unexpected. Uh, uh, Donald Trump campaigned on this issue. We knew that this was basically coming. Uh, It was a very direct um, uh, order, and not a lot of context was given. I guess I was a little surprised, and maybe this is still in the background. One thing that they did, uh, that that, uh, President Trump did say, was that uh, this would be subject to negotiation and conditions that he would put in place. And so one could read that favorably, that he's going to look at uh, the um, various pipeline options and be open to uh, trying to resolve conflict uh, rather than just confronting, uh, rather than inviting conflict. So right. immediately environmentalists, not surprisingly, and a number of groups, Sierra Club, um, et cetera, have, uh, Greenpeace have said, well, this isn't going to stand. They're going to uh, fight this. So the question is whether the, is this going to be a big, uh, from this point of view, is this going to be a big confrontation? Or are we going to mm-hmm. again have uh, uh, demonstrators being uh, hosed in, in, Deco- in, in North Dakota, et cetera, or Will there be some kind of a deal struck? You know, is there some yeah. possibility of, uh, of meeting my in the guess middle? Is, yeah. My guess is that that's not the agenda and that it's, uh, the idea is just to force these things through, in which case uh, you're going to have a lot of confrontation and you're going to fire up uh, environmentalists against these uh, pipelines. Chuck? Yeah, I think um, I'm with you on that. I, um, my, my guess would be that, uh, that he's probably just going to push this straight through. It, uh, when we, you know, we talked about this uh, a couple times in the past. It would be nice if the parties involved would would pay some attention to the to the natives who have uh, historical claims on the land uh, that the pipeline is traversing. They own the land nearby, but they apparently have unresolved historical claims uh, that are in conflict here. And if reciting the pipeline five miles, it's just strikes me as due diligence that would avoid a lot of the conflict. But I'd be very surprised if that happens. I think this is just going to be ramrodded through. The Keystone Pipeline, I think, is is pretty close to a done deal. Um, But that's a different question, I think. Harrison? Uh, Yeah, I I agree largely with what's said. I I think it will, as Eric sort of mentioned, um, be interesting to see um, if any of the uh, riders that um, kind of have been somewhat suggested uh, in this executive order regarding the use of U.S. steel uh, uh, or other sort of U.S. Uh, contractors, if that, that will play a significant role in, in um, how these things are built. 
I think the where, uh, as Chuck uh, mentioned, is is probably relatively set, um, despite uh, some of the concerns that the Native American groups have had. What are the pros and cons of, of, of these moves, Chuck, in your mind, I guess for both pipelines? Yeah, so uh, with respect to the... Uh, with respect to the Dakota Access Pipeline, really the trade-off here um, is between shipping the crude oil coming out of the Bakken, uh, shipping a marginal barrel, let's say, uh, by rail or by pipeline. And, and this is kind of, uh, there's been a long-standing discussion about this. Uh, shipping oil by rail was quite infamous. You know, we, had the, we had this big push uh, pushback regarding so-called bomb trains that, that came up a few years ago when, when those rail trains seem to be more commonly exploding than we would like. Uh, nothing's for free. Pipelines leak, too. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, all things equal, I think, uh, kind of the, the front page, splashy, hit-you-between-the-eyes news associated with a train derailment would maybe counsel us uh, in favor of thinking through uh, alternatives like sending stuff by pipeline. And, I, and I, so from my perspective, I think building this pipeline, not necessarily in the current through, through way, but building this pipeline has uh, plenty going for it. With respect to the Keystone Pipeline, uh, the crude that's being accessed, or the synthetic crude that's being accessed from Alberta, provides a very nice counterbalance to the light crude that comes out of places like the Bakken and Permian Basin. Uh, tight oil production uh, emerging from things like shacking, uh, fracking shale oil deposits. Um, that tends to be very light. U.S. refiners are configured to handle heavier slate, crude slates. Having something heavy coming out of uh, Canada to counterbalance that is prudent. Uh, I suspect uh, most refiners would, would see that as a big plus, um, and it's likely to encourage increased U.S. production all else equal. Harrison, what, what about the impact, especially with the Keystone Pipeline, uh, of going places, uh, going through places like Nebraska and, and with your background with the agriculture sector and, and, and the impact that that's going to potentially have in those areas? Well, I think the, um, the impacts, you know, these things are going to be below ground. The impact on the ag sector is probably fairly uh, minimal. Um, I do think that... Um, you know, some of the environmental impacts might be uh, a little bit um, more concerning. I mean, I think a lot of the arguments that, that Chuck is making are, are correct, and, and certainly in the days when we had $100 barrel oil, all this oil was going to come out of the ground, yeah. uh, regardless of whether these pipelines were built or not. You know, at $50 barrel oil that we're at now, it becomes a little bit less clear if particularly all the oil sands, oil was going to come out of the ground. Now, they aren't slowing down tremendously, but they are slowing down a little bit of their production. Um, and then furthermore, with the refining, uh, yes, a lot of the U.S. refiners are configured to do a little bit more heavy uh, crude that you'll get from, from places like the, the oil sands. But there's a movement to, do, to increase capacity to do light, and that uh, light tight oil that we have uh, in our shale place here is, is a lot less... Uh, has a lot less uh, greenhouse gas emissions attached with it compared to the to the heavy oils, so so a movement away from there from the heavy oils is certainly an environmental plus. But this pipeline is going to, you know, squarely to put us back in that in that uh, realm of using a lot of heavy oils. That's tar sand oils. Eric, 
Yeah, I agree with the analysis uh, given so far. I guess I'd just add a couple uh, points. There's really two major environmental issues at stake here. One is water and uh, the question of whether the pipelines will uh, affect water supplies or put water supplies in, in, at risk. And so in the Keystone case, I'm sorry, in the Dakota Access case, there was actually a rerouting of the, of yep. the pipeline away from the city of Bismarck through the, you know, which created the problem at Standing Rock because they were avoiding the city. And now you have the same issue. And the protesters at Standing Rock, of course, call themselves water protectors, and that's the major issue. Uh, the other issue is, uh, and you have the same issue in other cases, although I agree that it, in the risk assessment, you're, if you're going to ship the oil anyway, uh, in general, pipelines are less risky than putting them on uh, trains or uh, trucks. So that's um, the other issue, of course, is climate change. And there, this distinction between the heavy oil coming out of Canada and the lighter uh, weighs in favor of uh, the lighter. Uh, with uh, the lighter oil, the, um, uh, that's one reason the environmentalists like Bill McKibben and 350.org have targeted this, the Keystone Pipeline as a symbolic uh, protest uh, because they believe that you got to keep this, uh, the very heavy oil shale in the mm -hmm. ground and not develop it at all. Now, it's uh, interesting that we see uh, President Trudeau in Canada, who is otherwise taking a very pro-climate change point of view. And we right. actually were on the Knowledge at Warden. We were on the show earlier talking about how there had been a national climate change yep. uh, policy put in place. Yep. He's in favor, though, of the Keystone uh, the Keystone, and if you look at it in the very broad perspective, it really is a symbolic issue. It's probably not going to make a big difference with respect to the climate change issue, but certainly right. that that is motivating. That's the other big environmental issue here. And just to put this in a little bit of context, uh, a number of uh, groups like the Sierra Club have been opposing any pipelines, and the general argument is that you should not be really developing any new um, oil and coal supplies, you need to be making a big transition. So the infrastructure we should be building is not oil pipelines, but smart grids, uh, uh, renewable energy uh, sources, et cetera. So that's, the, that's kind of the framing of this, of this debate. We are joined uh, here in studio by Wharton Professor Eric Ortz on the line with Chuck Mason of the University of Wyoming, Harrison Fell from North Carolina State University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Chuck, what kind of impact do you think this, is this move is going to have on the oil industry going forward? Um, well... <clears throat> My my hunch would be, uh, so Eric's on the on the money on this. This is, uh, to a very large degree, uh, the things that we're talking about here are are symbolic. The amount of synthetic crude that's coming from Canada is just a drop in the international bucket. And uh, so, both from the perspective of the crude oil markets and from the perspective of climate change, it, it's really much ado about nothing. Uh, except for the kind of the symbolic stance. With respect to the Dakota Access Pipeline, however, I think that that's a big deal. Uh, that's potentially a, a bigger deal simply because uh, the, the, the oil deposits in western North Dakota and eastern Montana are so isolated from domestic markets that it's so difficult to get that crude to refiners, uh, say, on the Gulf Coast or, or in Philadelphia. Anything that, that sort of smooths that, anything that reduces those frictions, uh, like building this pipeline, is bound to make it easier to access uh, those crude deposits and, and I would expect will raise uh, wellhead prices and thereby encourage more drilling and more production. 
So from that perspective, I, I, I can see some uh, industrial uh, arguments in favor of uh, kind of this, this uh, pushing, fast-tracking forward uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Harrison, what's been the reaction down there in the South? Because there's also uh, several stories going around about other uh, pipelines that, that may come into play. And, and obviously some of them are, you know, are kind of intertwined throughout the South right now. Uh, yeah, that is uh, that's some of the debate here. Um, you know, there's not a lot of great uh, gas uh, pipeline uh, access down here, which sort of limits the ability of coal to natural gas uh, switching in the um, electricity sector. Now, that's against natural gas pipelines are, are slightly different than the oil pipelines, but uh, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the oil production in the Bakken also produces a large amount of, of natural gas, and so. Likewise, getting some of that gas out of out of that region is also um, important for the coal to natural gas switching. Um, yeah, with regards to other oil pipelines, we have seen some disruptions here this this uh, or this fall, uh, late last year, that have uh, really spiked some um, uh, local gas prices, and so um, I'm sure there's some concerns about that. And alleviating those concerns with additional pipeline uh, is a priority of some here. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, we are joined uh, on the phone by Chuck Mason of the University of Wyoming, Harrison Fell of North Carolina State, Eric Ortz from the Wharton School joining me here in studio. Eric, you mentioned about, uh, obviously, the, the pushback that uh, a lot of environmental groups are probably going to have. How, how volatile do you think this will become? I mean, this is obviously part of this is the rhetoric that uh, started a while ago by then-President-elect Trump, which is now carrying over now uh, into him being in office. Well, I think we're going to see right, the the signal that we got just from the announcement was rather, it seemed to me, kind of confrontational, even though I mentioned that they're going to negotiate, they, they mentioned that they're going to negotiate some terms, that sort yep. of thing. But you didn't really get a sense of a context where I think that maybe they were trying to. I mean, uh, Pre uh, President Trump was uh, had recently made a statement, which a lot of people uh, actually didn't believe exactly where that he is a really good environmentalist, and yeah. and then he claimed, unfortunately, falsely that he had received a lot of environmental awards. When he talked to the New York Times, he said he was keeping an open mind on climate change. But then, immediately after that, um, his his appointments have been uh, uh, led uh, that one have, have, that are relevant to this area have been generally uh, climate deniers, or uh, there are some people who changed their position. Um, at the at the hearings and basically accepted the science. So, unfortunately, I think you're, we're heading to a confrontation. And so, even in the Obama administration, when we remember history, there were there there was there were major conflicts already in the Dakota case. So, if you're just going to try to push that pipeline through, I think it's say I think it's a fairly good prediction that you are going to have a very strong and hopefully not violent, but very strong reaction. If you remember. Uh, veterans, uh, veterans had gone up to support the Native Americans there. There were quite a few people there, and so you're heading into the spring when the weather's not as bad as it was when you had a lot of people there already. Yeah. So my guess is that if they're just going to try to shove it through, uh, and you also you're going to also have some court battles because well, that's what that was uh, the next the, step I wanted the, to ask. Yeah. yeah, this still has to go through the um, Army Corps uh, process of uh, that they've already decided are are and as and as another. Uh, as another participant in the call mentioned, 
uh, it's not. There shouldn't be that hard to root this around the problem. Right. So it costs extra money, but it's really uh, that seemed to be the place it was going, and and it seems. But instead, it seems like there's almost a case of uh, picking a fight here. Uh, I might also mention that uh, these issues. Uh, uh, the Sierra Club and other environmental groups are targeting pipelines across the country yeah. and, in fact, have a fairly good record of stopping them, even in red states. And the reason is that's a not-in-my-backyard kind of phenomenon. If you can make the case to local communities that your water is going to be at risk, then there's a very strong uh, there's a very very strong case to be made to be be stopping these pipelines without worrying about whether you're going to convince everybody on the climate change issue. So, I uh, in a way I think my prediction would be you're going to have gr- bigger demonstrations against these. You're going to uh, really inc- it's it's a fundraising move that's going to in- unintentionally favor um, more environmentalist groups being mm-hmm. opposed to. This kind of uh, kind of having having pipelines shoved down their throats, and that you're going to have more conflict. So that's that's looking to me what the most likely prediction is. The way to get around that would be to try to if uh, try to negotiate to try to say, look, I'm the master of the deal now, being president, yeah. and try to bring the the parties together. I would have liked to see, for example. Uh, Packaging this kind of infrastructure program with something where you're saying, okay, how about smart grid investment and other kinds of uh, kinds of uh, policies that would be more favorable to the environmentalist side? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look. It looks like to me, I'm afraid that the the claims that Trump is a environmentalist that he's making are being are belied by the actions, and so that's that's uh, unfortunately my prediction would be we're we're headed to conflict and confrontation. Chuck, being uh, up in that part of the country, I mean, obviously, the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline is something that, that you've followed closely. Mm-hmm. Are we going to start to see more uh, more demonstrations on that site uh, in, in the near future? Well, I think um, I think it's almost certainly the case that there'll be uh, kind of a, an uptick in demonstrations as this goes forward. But <clears throat> so the, the, the thing to keep in mind with respect to uh, if you like the scope for demonstrations, this pipeline is uh, rightly or wrongly uh, the, the the company in question constructed a good chunk of it. It's it's essentially complete, but for the segment that's going to traverse the Missouri River uh, going underneath the reservoir, at which it, it ends at each side. The implication then is that it will probably take you know a matter of days or a couple of weeks uh, tops. For it to be completed, so I would imagine it's the case that the, the pipeline company will be able to finish this off in short order. And once that's done, you know that renders moot any any scope for protesting. So the uh, to the extent that protesters are going to have some traction, it's, it's it has to be ex ante. It has to be before shovels, so to speak, hit in the ground. Um, I, I want to say something kind of just in passing about this the Sierra Club at all uh, angst about pipelines. I appreciate the concerns with respect to climate change and and the the idea that that certain kinds of fuels, particularly oil sands, are dirtier. This is a blunt-edged instrument that we're talking about here. If you don't like the fact that that oil sands have heavier carbon content, then the, the appropriate way to deal with that is to impose a carbon tax rather than trying to pick winners and losers. And indeed, I believe it the case that the Alberta government is in the process of instituting a carbon tax. So that, I think, will be an interesting twist on things going forward. Eric? 
Yeah, well, I agree with that to, to an extent. I think that uh, that's why it would have been helpful if we had something like uh, a carbon tax proposal, which is unlikely to, you know, I don't think we'll get that from the Trump administration, but I agree that the problem is a larger problem and that having some sort of a balance uh, to the uh, to the issue would have been would have been helpful. But without that, I think you are uh, feeding into the symbolism that the environmentalist groups are taking with respect to the pipelines. Right. And in the larger scale, I think there is an argument, uh, although I agree with the uh, I, I agree with the analysis that this is a relatively small uh, issue in the larger picture. But it's also true that if you um, – we got some uh, information. If you look at a group called Carbon Tracker, what they've done is looked at the total amount of fossil fuels that are owned by companies, private and state-owned. And if you basically burn all the currently owned and discovered resources uh, available – you definitely blow through the two-degree limit that the um, Paris Agreement sets. So you're going to be more at a looking. We're look, it's looking likely, or at least if, I think the most recent estimates are that there's a 50-50 chance that we're heading to a four-degree centigrade world. The best predictions that we have right now are that that's a very unfavorable world to be in. Right. And so eventually, <clears throat> if by either uh, market forces, because a lot of renewable, uh, you know, we, the, we've been indicating the price of oil is really down. One of the reasons is that natural gas, which is a more favorable fuel to oil and coal, is more plentiful through the fracking process, et cetera. But it's also true that the cost of solar is going down, the cost of wind is going down, and many other countries are moving, including China and Europe, are moving toward those kind of fuels, uh, and nuclear nuclear as well is, uh, is, is carbon neutral. And so you have, um, you have. There's going to be pressure to not develop all of the resources that you have in the ground, as uh, I think the reality of climate change and what the consequences are going to be are, uh, become apparent. And so, if that's the case, then you might have you have a carbon bubble essentially in the markets, mm -hmm. and uh, it won't be possible to burn all of these uh, all of this fuel, and there'll be a resistance to that. So that's kind of another question here, and that's why the but that's the theory behind why environmentalist groups are targeting pipelines and saying, look, we really need to be investing into smart grids, other kinds of uh, right. other kinds of energy, and not more pipelines. Uh, to take out uh, more oil that really should be left in the ground. So that's at least the background on the environmentalist side. Harrison, obviously this is a, a, a very contentious topic that uh, will probably be going on for, for quite some time. Uh, I just get your reaction on this potential uh, back and forth we will see between, uh, between government and, and environmental groups going forward. Uh, yeah, uh, this is clearly um, going to be raging for the next uh, four years, uh, if the first uh, week of the Trump presidency is is any indication of where we're headed uh, under his administration, um, uh, I agree with with Chuck that that you know trying to stop pipelines is not the best avenue for keeping oil in the ground if that's your goal at the Sierra Club or, or other environmental groups that pushing for environmental. Uh, uh, regulations such as uh, emissions caps or emission taxes is, is way better, but realistically, that's not going to happen for the next four years. So clearly, that's uh, the efforts to sort of block pipelines or otherwise block um, oil gas development is is probably the strategy that a lot of the environmental groups are going to take. Um, pushing for renewables is another strategy that they're going to take, but it's it's important to sort of differentiate these things. Renewable electricity. 
and, and the impacts of natural gas on the electricity sector are, are somewhat separate from the idea of, of oil pipelines and, and, and the use of oil. Uh, at least in the U.S., we, we primarily use oil for, for transportation and, and renewables is for electricity, and we have a very limited scope of, of um, electric vehicles, so we're not the, – the interaction between those two markets is, is yeah. fairly limited. Um, and so you can – and so, so those aren't necessarily the same uh, goals. Pushing for renewables uh, doesn't necessarily stop your um, oil production. Um, and so I imagine you'll see you'll see push by environmental communities um, going forward and, and fights with the administration uh, going forward over both of those fronts um, in, in parallel. Chuck, what ends up being the, t- the time frame then for potentially the completion of, of these two projects? Um, well, I'd be uh, I'd be inclined to uh, to see I would guess that we will see that the Dakota Access Pipeline um, completed before. Uh, before the end of our spring semester, uh, uh, possibly uh, more like two, three months from now. Uh, with respect to the Keystone Pipeline, that's a little harder call. That's a that's a much bigger project, and it's not nearly as far along. Nevertheless, I would be surprised if that were not completed by the end of 2017. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Harrison. My pleasure. All the best. Eric, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.